Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Cool. Morning, everyone, and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to uh, share a little bit with you this morning. Um, It's been a little while since I've actually uh, been standing in front of uh, a church or a group of people to speak, so I've um, typed out my notes, um, and I'm going to stick to them, so, uh, you know, to save uh, all of you from heresies um, and from me, you know, from committing any. Um, So, yeah. Um, today we are going to be going through Psalm 42, um, and <clears throat> I've titled it Hopeful Remembrance, um, and I think indeed it is a psalm about hopeful remembrance. But before I jump into the psalm itself, I want to uh, just talk about the Apostle Paul a little bit to set the stage a little bit. I'm sure all of you are familiar with the Apostle Paul and his writings and just the many, many things that he went through in his life. Um, we, we read uh, in Corinthians, mostly to Corinthians, about all of these things that he went through, how he was shipwrecked, how he was uh, beaten and uh, several times, uh, actually, and then, uh, you know, just um, uh, cast out by people, rejected by his own people for preaching the gospel, and then imprisoned. Uh, several times as well. And I can just imagine the Apostle Paul sitting there in prison, uh, knowing all of this that's uh, you know, happened to him, and thinking about uh, the gospel and the work that he's doing, uh, trying to you know, teach in churches and spread the good news of the gospel. And I'm sure that in times he would be actually really downcast, sitting there in prison, no one else around him, and just just feeling the weight of it and asking the question, why, Lord, why are you letting this happen? You know, I'm your faithful servant, but you've let these things happen to me. Um, And I can imagine that this psalm, Psalm 42, would be something that if he had access to his his scrolls, as I'm sure he did, um, he would read this and really resonate with what's going on uh, in this psalm. So, yeah, that's, that's a, a bit of the scene that I want to uh, set. Is just think of the Apostle Paul sitting there in prison, everything that he's been through, and reading through the psalm and just being like, yes, and resonating with it, letting it be his emotions just expressed through this uh, beautiful psalm. Um, yeah. So we've already spent a few weeks in the psalms here, um, and if nothing else, we've seen that they are these magnificent expressions of emotion, both from the author's point of view, in what uh, they were experiencing, as well as proclamations of truth and adoration to God. So a little bit of context uh, is always important when reading and interpreting Scripture. And by context, what I mean is all of those little uh, details around the text, you know, why it was written, who it was written to, where it was written, when it was written, Uh, and what its original intention was uh, with its original readers as directed by the Holy Spirit. 
That said, the Psalms are written in such a way uh, with their poetic and diverse nature that sometimes, even without knowing all of those little contextual details, uh, we can just so easily enter into them. We can just read them, this expressive language, to help us understand what we're dealing with and help us express what we're going through. Uh, and, and that said, um, we've got to remember that this is indeed God's inspired words. And uh, I like what uh, Ross Lester says in his uh, devotional book on the Psalms called Sela. He says, The Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of the Psalms. It is very important for us to remember that as we engage with them, and it should significantly alter our posture as we read them. If we disagree with the Psalms, we are wrong and need to adjust accordingly. Please don't come to the Psalms as a judge who gets to weigh their worth, but rather come as a worshiper who gets to be weighed by the Scriptures, willing to adjust course when wisdom greater than our own is presented to us. And that's just true of all the scriptures. I mean, we, we sit under them and let them minister to us. So today, as, uh, as we've seen in other messages, uh, the Psalms are divided into five books. And today we are looking at Psalm 42, which is the first, book, uh, first psalm in book two of uh, that sort of division that you see there on the screen. Uh, and in many older manuscripts, actually, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are not divided. Uh, Psalm 43 doesn't actually have its own title. Um, and so for today's purposes, I'd like us to treat Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 as the same psalm. And that's why we read them uh, up front this morning together. Um, because the, the theme just keeps going into them, and they make this really nice unit. So today when I say Psalm 42, just think 42 and 43 but I'll keep track and show you the verses as we go. Um, yeah, today we'll agree with uh, the, or perhaps the older manuscripts and keep them as one bigger psalm. A third of the psalms are psalms of lament. Uh, and today's psalm is also indeed a psalm of lament. Um, if you didn't pick that up after uh, hearing them read, I think either you were maybe still just caught up in such a cloud of glory of worship, or uh, maybe we need to make coffee available before the service. But just in hearing those words, I mean, we can tell that there is something really wrong going on uh, with the author. Uh, in the way that he's expressing it, we can just tell that something is definitely wrong. We see turmoil, hopelessness, pain, trepidation, uh, crushing weight, uh, searing sadness, stinging suffering, and even maybe a debilitating depression. It is a psalm of lament. If you go to your Bible dictionary and uh, look up lament, as I did uh, with mine when preparing, um, it redirects you, or mine does anyway, to mourning, uh, as in funeral uh, mourning. And uh, what it says there is that it is an established ritual for grieving observed by a dead person's relatives. Now, that's pretty intense, and that's uh, one way that uh, we can use the word. But I think uh, better for us today is to look at it as um, a lament being a cry to God in time of crisis, both personally and corporately. Um, yeah, a cry to God in time of crisis, both personally and corporately. Um, now, I'm a, you know, sort of, what am I, I call myself middle-aged, uh, young white guy, 
and I think I'll go with middle age. Um, probably most of you would say, no, I'm still a spring chicken then. You're probably right. Um, but you know, being a white guy, and that, you know, I can talk from that perspective, um, I mean, I struggle to really express emotions in many, many ways. And I look at other cultures often, and I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could just express things as well as they do in those other cultures. Um, so from my limited you know, experience as a, as a white guy, I think I could maybe speak to other white people in the room, and, and it's a broad brushstroke, but um, you know, perhaps we can learn something uh, from some of the other cultures around us, especially when expressing our emotions and just being able to you know, get our money's worth uh, for a good, just laying it all out there, bare, uh, uh, wailing lament, and just, you know, express all the emotion that we have. Uh, maybe it's just me. It probably is just me. Um, but I really struggle to do that. I'm so just, you know, in my little bubble, like, I'll express emotion in my corner in the room when I'm alone, um, and there's time for that. But, you know, I digress. That's a, a different point. But... The personal nature of Psalm 42 makes it uh, a really invaluable tool for us, uh, even now, as we look to ex express everything that we go through in our lives, uh, even today, so far removed, so many years down the line from when it was originally written. Uh, we're not told exactly what is going on in this guy's life, in the author of the psalm. We don't know what it is he's talking about when he says that there are these um, these enemies, uh, we don't know who these people are who are asking him, uh, you know, where is your God? We don't know much about that. Um, but we do know that it's probably written by a Jewish uh, exile uh, in Babylon around the 6th century uh, BC, uh, perhaps an Israelite ref refugee in a distant land uh, in the period of the monarchy. Um, and he is most probably a Levitical priest uh, of sorts who used to be in the temple in Jerusalem. So that's just a little bit about the background of the psalm. Um, but today what I'd really like to do is just share some thoughts from Psalm 42. And my hope and prayer is that we would walk away with a refreshed way of thinking uh, so that when these uh, waves uh, described by the psalmist uh, come crashing over your lives, you would have a way of looking at them more like he does and less like the world does. And that goes for me uh, as well. Uh, just a, a real way of seeing how we respond biblically. I think that, that much of the way he responds, it, it is a, a good way to respond, and we can learn a lot. So that's what I hope that we can do uh, this morning, just perhaps get a bit of a refreshed way of looking at trials and turmoil and hardships that come our way. So let's um, walk through the psalm together. Um, I'll make a few observations uh, and then a couple of points about what we see going on. And uh, then after that, I'll just pull a few points of, uh, out of it, uh, looking at what we can learn from the psalm as Christians today. So it starts off, uh, the title is, To the Choir Master, a Maskil of the Sons of Korah. And we'll get back to that uh, in a little bit. But let's look at verse 1 to 3. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Now that language is pretty intense. He says he pants and he thirsts. This is language of exertion, being deprived and needing a drink to sustain you and revive you. Uh, The illustration of a deer is uh, probably a good one. I don't know much about deers. I've never really been near a live one for any extended period of time, I suppose. Um, But I can much better uh, imagine my little dog, uh, Charlie. Uh, He's a, a bit of a lunatic. He's a a mixed breed uh, rescue dog, so he's got some issues. But um, I can much better imagine him when we've been running on the beach, uh, or when I've been sitting on the beach and he's been running on the beach, um, and by the time we get home, he is just exhausted, and he wants a drink so, so badly um, that you open that door, and I mean, he like just, he he runs so fast, that is like, his his paws are slipping on the tiles, and there's spit flying everywhere, and he's just like grunting, and it's it's gross, it's disturbing, but he gets to that water bowl, and it's like he needs to drink with the back of his neck, it's like, that's where his tongue is, and I mean, there's just water everywhere, his face is covered with water, It, it sounds like he's, you know, trying to bath in his water bowl, but it's just this desperation that he needs to drink that water, as fast as he can. And, um, yeah, there's just nothing that can stand in his way. Uh, and, and much like that, I can assume, that's the type of desperation that the psalmist has. He's saying that I am thirsty and it feels like I've been running and striving and I'm in desperate, desperate need of a drink, like after a marathon kind of thirsty, uh, not for my throat, not for my mouth, but for my soul, my soul is desperate for this revival because my soul is weary. All I have to comfort me is this diet of tears and sorrow. But what I know I need is to be in the presence of God, to see his face and gather my strength from him. And that he alone is the one thing that can actually quench this need, this lack that my soul feels. I love the way that the Message Bible uh, translates this, these first three verses. It says, uh, A white-tailed deer drinks from the creek. I want to drink God, deep drafts of God. I'm thirsty for God alive. I wonder, will I ever make it? Arrive and drink in God's presence. I'm on a diet of tears. Tears for breakfast, tears for supper. All day long, people knock at my door, pestering. Where is this God of yours? I think that captures it really, really well. It's just, it's just a simple uh, cry. Uh, I'm desperate. I have nothing else. I'm surviving on these tears. Uh, that's all I have, and I know that I need God. And people keep coming to me and saying, hey, we, we know that you're uh, this, uh, you know, this, this Christian guy, and, and this, surely this shouldn't be happening to you. Where's this God that you believe in? That's, that's uh, I assume, what he, he could really say that he's going through. Um, But he says in verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts of song and praise, a multitude-keeping festival. This guy is just 
pouring out his soul. And sometimes it's hard to get that from, from uh, just words on a page. We are really trying put ourselves in there and imagine what's going on. But this is more than just a, a little bedtime, before bed prayer that he's uh, putting out there. The first five verses paint this real picture of this deep suffering that he's feeling at the mockery and the taunts uh, of his enemies. Um, but he pours out his soul. He calls to mind the joyful times in Jerusalem when the many pilgrims flock there for festivals and worship, and he yearns for God's presence once again, as he so profoundly experienced it in the past. He clings to a hope, a hope that God will once again restore him to his post as temple singer. See, and and thinking back to the title of this psalm, he was one of the sons of Korah, uh, and as we read uh, that title and we see that word, uh, we're thrown back to the book of Chronicles, where it tells us how the Korahites, who were these uh, priests, they were Levites, um, but they were specifically commissioned in leading worship. They were sort of modern day, uh, would be the equivalent anyway, of a modern day worship leader. And that's what this guy was. Um, and he knew what it was to worship God, like really just stand before God, lead the people, and that was his joy. That's really what brought this guy alive. And now he doesn't have that. He's removed from that, and he's feeling suffering and mockery, and it's a struggle for him. But he remembers. He looks back, and and he thinks about those times when he was leading this uh, congregation in worship, and that formed part of his foundation of faith. In his desperation and in his depression, he looks at his situation, And he cries out and lays it before the Lord. But then immediately he looks back and considers God's continual faithfulness. And what does he do? He starts to doubt his doubts immediately. See, as he pours out his soul, uh, he, he starts preaching to himself. Even though things are tough, even though his whole world is pretty much crumbling around him and it seems like everything is just falling apart, his place where he is, he's, he's not in his homeland, we, we don't think. Uh, his people aren't with him, and he's pretty much lost his job. He, he's not leading uh, the, the people in worship anymore. His, his priestly duty has been removed from him in many ways. He says in verse 5, Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Then he says to himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, he, he takes that depression, he takes that struggle, and he looks back at the good times. He looks back at when he was just filled with joy in leading his people in worship. And then he asks himself the question. He's feeling that way, but he says, hey, no, Why are you downcast? Why are you feeling this way? Hope in God. Because again, one day in the future, looking forward, I will again see his face and worship. I will see him, my salvation and my God. Uh, There's a quote from uh, Samuel Rutherford, and he says, uh, I I really like it, It's, it's cool. When I'm in the cellar of affliction, I look for the Lord's choicest wines. I think that's really cool. When he's, when he's in this uh, cellar looking at all these different kinds of wines, it's this, you know, cellar of affliction, of hardship, 
Um, even there, even in that place where it's really tough, there's something good to be found. Um, and the psalmist is saying that um, even in his place of hardship, he's looking at everything, but there is something good to be found. And he's saying here, yeah, it's looking ahead with that hope, knowing that he will again see God. His prayers undergirded, that is that it's built upon and held up by a deep certainty that his God will not let him down. His faith is in God, his Redeemer. And he says, no, no, soul. He's talking to his own soul. He says, don't be trapped in this pit of downcastness, but rather hope in God. He is and will be my salvation. And that right there could be the end of the the psalm. You know, we have this this beautiful picture of him saying, this is my struggle Uh, But in that struggle, I'm remembering God's goodness, and I'm looking ahead, knowing that God will restore me. Um, Nice and neat. uh, End on a high point. Um, But it doesn't end there. It it carries on. Um, And I think we can be really grateful that it carries on, because there's there's a lot more that we can actually learn from the psalmist. In what follows, all the way to the end of Psalm 43, and that's why we've included it, is this picture Uh, this pattern of life in the world as we, I think, experience it many times. Uh, The ink hasn't really dried on the page from uh, when he's written that last verse of hopefulness, of saying, I will again praise him, my salvation and my God, and we're thrust right back into the turmoil, turmoil of the author's life. Straight off writing that, straight off that last verse, he immediately goes into, my soul is downcast within me. This is the, just this raw emotional honesty that this guy brings. He shows that there's this, this almost dance of sorts between trust and turmoil. Uh, what he's saying is that the reality of suffering, uh, the re- reality of his legitimate struggle, the real, the real thing that he's going through is hard. Uh, and I'm trying to trust God in it and through it, but I can be trusting God and at the same time, just feel and be emotionally downcast. And even so much more than that, I can just come to God and bring that to him honestly and cry out to him. Uh, earlier we read how he poured out his soul. He wasn't afraid he, 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 to approach God with that. He brought it before him and just cried out to him. Um, And then again, just as before, the psalmist looks back at God's faithfulness in the very next verse after after saying to himself or or writing down that, you know, my soul is downcast. He looks back again at God's faithfulness. And this type of pattern follows three times in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. The first five verses uh, of of Psalm uh, 42 um, have that pattern. And then verses 6 to 11 are that pattern again repeated, and then Psalm 43 forms um, that third pattern. Uh, the pattern being um, acknowledging there's this turmoil going on and remembering then God's goodness and then saying, I'm going to look ahead with this hopeful remembrance. So I'm not going to go line by line uh, through uh, you know, the, the rest of the psalm and into Psalm 43, but what I want to move to um, is 
maybe looking at a few things that we can learn from the author, a few observations uh, that we can make from what he's telling us here, um, which will pull on elements that we see uh, between uh, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. The way that I like to think of it um, and the way that I think he's presented it to us here is this, we got this pattern of what we see happening in life uh, as, as a whole, maybe, um, the way that we experience hardship and depression. And I can think, the only real illustration, maybe not a good one, but in my mind as I was preparing, this image just popped up in my head of um, a boat on the sea. Now, um, if you've been on a boat, I don't think we should be out on the sea at all, by the way. I mean, we don't go like strolling around the Kruger Park. We have no place in the ocean. But that's just uh, my opinion. Maybe some of you surf. Good luck to you. Um, but if you're on a boat uh, and it's a rough sea and you've got these high swells, uh, you're on the boat. You're not, the, the situation isn't different. But when you're in the bottom of that um, swell and you look around, there's just waves everywhere. You don't see the horizon. You don't see the light. It's just dark and um, gloomy. And it look, if you just look around, it looks like there's no way out. But as that swell lifts you and you, then on the top of that, you can see the horizon and you can see the light, and you can say, oh, hey, that, no, that's where we're going. I'm not stuck here. I can see that there's a direction that I'm going in. And that image just popped up in my head in, in the way that the psalmist was giving us this pendulum from hopelessness to hopefulness and then seemingly back to hopelessness. Um, and, and I think that's the way we, we experience things in life. It's even though I'm going through something tough, there's times where I'm down and it's, and it's really tough. But then, even though the situation hasn't changed, the Lord just comes alongside you and you can feel, him, uh, feel his presence with you. And that is that, that, um, that perspective change that we get. And we, we can see that he is indeed with us and taking us somewhere. So, just a few observations um, from the Psalms. The first thing that the author does um, in his response to this trial is to ask the question, why? As we read verse 9, we see, he uses the word forgotten. Lord, why have you forgotten me? Um, In verse 2 of Psalm 43, he says, why have you rejected me? And we, we know that God doesn't just forget Someone. He doesn't uh, just reject this guy. Because if we look at verse 8, we see clearly that he says, the, the, the Lord's, at night the Lord's song is with him. We know that God hasn't rejected him. We know that God hasn't forsaken him. We know that God hasn't uh, forgotten him. So why does he ask this? Why does he say uh, that you've forgotten me? Why that you've rejected me? And I think, again, it's just... He's bringing his, his real, legitimate, um, uncovered emotions and saying, you know what, God, that is just the way that I feel. In the midst of this, I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like you've rejected me. Um, and that's okay, I think. Um, I think that there's lots of, um, lots of times when someone you know, is in a place of struggle um, and they, they can say stuff, and maybe it doesn't line up exactly with the theology that we know is right. 
Um, but I think maybe in those times we can just let it, let it slide. <laughs> we know that those people will uh, come back and say, you know, I was really struggling then. What I said probably isn't right. But in the moment, when someone's really struggling, really suffering, um, I don't think we first and foremost need to correct uh, theology. Um, the way they feel is the way they feel, and we can just come alongside them. Um, uh, but this guy, he here is asking the Lord, why? I think we can do that. It's fine for us. It's good for us to come and say to the Lord, why is this happening? Whatever it is that is happening. The second point is that he took his trouble to God. Um, now these, um, just as a note, I've taken a few of these points and amended them from uh, John Piper, who has a, a really good um, uh, yeah, sermon, I think it's from a sermon, uh, on the psalm as well. Um, and this, yeah, the second point is that he took his trouble to God. We see that in uh, verse 4 of Psalm 42, verse 9 of Psalm 42, and verse 1 of Psalm 43. He evaluated the way that he felt, which was abandoned and forgotten, um, and he looked at what he was going through, and he took that to the Lord. Uh, in verse 4 of Psalm 42, he says, I pour out my soul. In verse 9, he says, I say to God. And in verse 1 of Psalm 43, he appeals to God, and he says, God, vindicate me. This, it's not in isolation from God. He's not just trying to wrestle with it himself. He's not just going to friends, going to family, and trying to, trying to you know, talk to them about it. He's taking everything that he's going through, everything that he's feeling, and he's giving it to God. He's saying, Lord, look, look, look at everything that's going on. You're sovereign. You know what's going on. You can change this. Uh, here it is. Um, won't you in some way um, restore me, engage with me, console me, uh, give me hope again in the midst of what I'm going through? Third, in the midst of discouragement, he affirms God's sovereign love for him. And I think this is just uh, awesome. Uh, in verse 7, Psalm 42, uh, or in verse 5 and verse 7, he says, my, um, my God. He says, I shall again uh, praise him, my salvation. He knew that God knew him and had love for him. So it wasn't just, um, just praise, praise God. I want to just praise God. He is salvation. It is my God. It is my salvation. He knew him. He had a relationship with him. He had this personal trust, as I see it, that he had built with him that leads him to say, this is my God, my salvation. That's the, the love element that we see. Then there's the sovereignty that the author knows. He says, um, and sovereignty is God's control over all things. In verse 7, he, he doesn't say the waterfalls, the breakers, the waves. He says, these are your waterfalls, your breakers, and your waves. And when, when I first read that, I'm like, reading this, I'm like... Where it says it there, let me read that verse. Um, it says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers, all your waves have gone over me. And that was hard to sort of for me to understand at first because it seems as though he's being thrust into this turmoil and the struggle, the things that he is calling waves and breakers, um, but they're from God. They're not just 
randomly happen. God is sovereign over them. He's letting them happen to this guy. Whether that's God primarily being the mover to make those things happen, or maybe in a way secondarily just letting those happen, uh, things happen to them. But in it, there is this purpose um, that God is, has. He affirms that God is ultimate uh, in control over everything in his life. And he's saying that even this, Lord, the waves, the trials that keep pummeling me one after the other, even they are under your control and you know about them. Um, and you can use them and you are using them for your good. I think as Christians, if we believe the Bible to be true, and, and I think and I assume that all of us here uh, do, uh, then this also is our response. Um, this is absolutely the testimony of the New Testament. Jesus himself assured us that there will be trouble in this life. But we know both of these truths, that God indeed does love us, uh, and that in all things he is in control, he is sovereign, and we are not. And that is where our faith lies. Fourth, he remembers and looks ahead with faithful hope. In verse 4 of um, Psalm 42 um, and verse 6, I think we dug into this already, but let me just say, um, it is on my conviction uh, predominantly true. Um, the, the, the true times of worship uh, are in community, uh, just as we're doing here today. Um, and it is the quiet times of private communion with God that build this treasure box of sorts uh, of times to look back on in remembrance. So what I mean by that is, do we have something to look back on? This guy definitely did. He definitely knew what it was to be in the Lord's presence. He knew what it was to be, um, to be filled with this joy and, and just you know, leading the people in worship just at an absolute high, knowing that God was with him. He had that, and he, and he had that in the bank. Um, that he, he could use in this time of trial. Um, and, and I really believe maybe um, we don't acknowledge it or, or really put the weight on it that we should. But when we come together, um, like we've done this morning, to hear the word read over us, to sing songs together in community, um, and to participate as we will later in the Lord's Supper together, this is a, an amazing and spiritual thing that we are doing here. It's the Holy Spirit of God who is with us, infusing himself into all of those things. And, and, and that is something that we can look back on in times of trial, knowing that, no, there's, you know, I've been uh, in, in God's sanctuary as it is. I've experienced his goodness. I've tasted that. And I can look back on that and, and use that to encourage me at times when maybe I just don't feel that way. And I think that's really, uh, really good. Fifth, he thirsts for God. Um, there's a hymn uh, written uh, in the 1600s by Tate and Brady, and I don't I doubt I've ever actually sung it, but um, as I was doing prep, I came across it. I just want to read it to you. I think it, it's based off Psalm 42, and I think that it really um, paints the picture well and emphasizes this thirst for God. Uh, it says, As pants the heart for cooling streams when heated in the chase, so longs my soul, O God, for thee and thy refreshing grace. Why restless thy cast down, my soul? Trust God who will employ his aid for thee and change 
these sighs to thankful hymns of joy. For thee, my God, the living God, my thirsty soul doth pine. O when shall I behold thy face, thou majesty divine? God of my strength, how long shall I, like one forgotten mourn, forlorn, forsaken, and exposed to my oppressor's scorn? Why restless, why cast down, my soul? Hope still, and thou shalt sing the praise of him who is thy Lord, thy health's eternal spring. Oh, that last line. The, the praise of him who is thy God, thy health's eternal spring. And you ask, well, why do I read that? Um, those, it, it just really captures that it is God who is the one to be desired. Uh, as that fifth point there says, um, the, I believe this, this psalmist knew above everything else that he is thirsting for God. It's, it's, it's not a change of situation. It's, um, it's not to first and foremost bring relief from the, the trial, the torment, the hardship, the suffering that he's feeling. His plea is to appear before God. Um, in, in verse um, 4, uh, sorry, in verse 2, he says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Other translation uh, that I read says, When will I see God's face? And that, that's, that's the right question. In light of remembering, in light of knowing God's love and sovereignty, his main concern is to be with God, to know his presence. He's saying that although all seems to be closing in around me and my enemies taunt me and the waves pummel me, if I know that the Lord on whom the universe rests is with me, and more than that, uh, even more than that then, I don't need my circumstances to change. I just need to know God in my circumstance. And that will be the change, I think, to desire him above all else. Um, when we look at the world around us, when we look at um, you know, popular culture and, and all that, and we, we see what the world would say our response to suffering is, or trial, or stress, or hardships, um, there's many things uh, that it could be. It's um, escapism, um, you know, just put it, in a, put it in a box and don't deal with it. Um, focus on something else. Work harder. Don't, don't, you don't need to deal with that. Um, you know, don't just, you know, man up, uh, trudge on, do it, uh, push through it. Um, uh, substance abuse to try and deal with what it is we're going through to, to drown out the pain that we can feel. Other religions, especially Hinduism, um, would say, well, you've got you to seek um, nirvana, that is, um, you know, this, this peace, that, and there's ways to do that, and, and rituals and um, uh, types of uh, mantras that you can do to do that. Um, or what they would say is attain something called moksha, which is this release out of the cycle of karma, because on that worldview, it's the reason you're suffering is because of something you've done, and you're just stuck in that, and it's going to cycle back and back and back. And hopefully, if you've you know, lived through these cycles enough, you'll then escape that and find this uh, removal from uh, karma. Um, or just trying to find salvation in other people in relationships um, through our struggles when we don't really um, 
you know, grapple with them. But what the, what the psalmist is saying, as we've seen so, so beautifully, is that, no, we find, find peace in God. So just a few points very quickly for us today as I draw to a close. Is number one, remember. Number two, look ahead with faithful hope. Number three, thirst for God. And then fourth, now I'll elaborate a little bit here, is preach to yourself. Like, do you preach to yourself? Do you, do you speak to yourself? Um, I didn't really grapple with it much earlier, but three times he says to himself at the end of these sections, he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In, the, in, in light of everything that he's just said, he's looking back and, he, and he's preaching to himself. He's telling himself, no, no, you must hope. You will again praise him. He is your salvation. He is your God. And that's really what I think we, we can do. I'm not very good at this. Um, I've discovered I'm not great at uh, positive self-talk. You know? um, in fact, I probably am more defeatist than anything else. Um, but that's not the right attitude. And it's not what we learn from Scripture, especially not from the Scripture that we are uh, grappling with today. Um, and this guy had great reason for hope. He had great reason to preach to himself, is that he knew God, he knew God's goodness and faithfulness, and that propelled him to worship, that propelled him to preach to himself. What we have is even greater than that. Uh, there is a greater hope for us and something that we should constantly be preaching to ourselves. And that is that we have an even greater hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We can look to him and know that he has overcome everything in this world. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we are partakers of the ultimate and flawless faith and hope that he put in the Father God. He sought obedience to the Father's will and took the cup that should have rightly been ours to take. By that I mean that we have sinned, all of us sitting here, and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus paid the price for that sin by taking it upon himself and to the cross where he paid that penalty in full for every single one of us. I mean, that's just the gospel. We, we know that, but I think we too often forget that. Our greatest hope is in Jesus, right now and into eternity. He rose from the grave, proving that he is our hope, he is our salvation, and that with him, through faith, we are raised to a new life in him right now and in the time to come. In times of trial and struggle, that is what we need to look onto and hold onto. That is why we should be preaching to ourselves. Trust in God who has proved that he is to be trusted. And, and that is just so true. Um, I don't know if I do that enough at all. I think I would first dwell on what it is. I'd blame uh, situation. I'd blame people. Um, just wallow in being depressed. But that really just isn't what we as Christians have to do. We have this amazing hope, this knowledge of the gospel of Jesus and what he's done and ultimate glory that awaits us. 
And we know that in everything, I mean, you read 1 Peter, we, we studied that a little while ago. God is working in all of these trials. Um, in closing, I'd like to just go back to um, the Apostle Paul again and just imagining him sitting in prison, um, struggling, but knowing this amazing hope, um, knowing the gospel of Jesus and knowing what it is he's suffering for and how, uh, how God is using it in his life. Um, there's this quote that I, I pulled that I think just really would wrap it up well if you had to be sitting there across from Paul in prison with him. Um, yeah, I'll read it for you. The aging apostle leans in close, the smile on his face betraying an almost inappropriate joy in light of the scars on his body. He looks at you straight in the eye and whispers, you want to know my secret? Christ is enough. In his grace, I have sufficiency for every thorn. That's 2 Corinthians 12.9. In his love, security for every uncertainty. That's Romans 8.38. In his strength, I have power for every circumstance. Philippians 4.12. We have grace and sufficiency. We have love and security. We have strength and power. God's grace is sufficient for us. God's love is what keeps us secure. And God's power, and God's strength rather, is our power. So in looking at the psalm, I think for me the, the, the main thing that I just see leaping off the page is this, that we live in hopeful remembrance. Uh, we remember um, what he has done for us and we embrace what he is busy doing in us and we are excited for what he will do with us um, going forward. So on that, in, uh, in light of you know, knowing God's grace and looking back in hopeful uh, remembrance, as I've phrased it, um, one of the, the best ways, I think the best way that we can do that as Christians is to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, we know, as I've, as I've mentioned, that um, He paid for the sin um, that we have committed. And He did it joyfully in a way and, and willingly um, he went to the cross, his body was broken, his blood was poured out. Um, and as we today come to the table and we take that bread, remembering his body broken, and we take that juice as a sign of his blood that was poured to cover and wash away all of our sin, we come with joy, absolute joy. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.